Hello and welcome back to the Rock and Road Podcast, Series 7. This is Leona Graham and on this episode I test out The Beast, aka the Ford Ranger Raptor. I chat to Brian May about guitar techniques and we hear from Emma at MCN with all the latest motorcycle news. But first, The Beast. We are now driving the 3-litre V6 petrol engine Ford Ranger Raptor. And this has got a higher performance than your average Ranger. The Raptor has quite a lot of extras, including bigger wheel arches, larger bumpers, massive alloy wheels, all-terrain tyres, and it's certainly attention-grabbing. What do you think of it, Sasha? I wanted to go, woo, when you were reading now. <laughs> <laughs> You're driving it right now. How does it feel driving it? It's really nice. It's nice and high. It's very smooth. It manoeuvres easily. I quite like it, actually. I think it is a lot higher than other pickups. Um, I don't think it's taller in terms of the ceiling heights. If you're going to a car park, I think it's six foot is what I measured it at. I've also but got my, my chair on like the top setting, so you can move it back and forth and you can move it up and down. So I'm, I'm at the top setting on the highest. But physically, I think the whole of the seating area is higher than your average pickup, which is why when we pulled up to a bus next to a bus earlier, we were at the same height as the bus driver, yeah, weren't we? Yeah, on par with the bus driver. Yeah, definitely. So it feels like you're massive. Um, but when you actually get out and look at it compared to a normal transit, it was actually the same height. That surprised me. It's got a 12-inch infotainment centre screen, which is looks almost the size of a piece of A4 paper. It's pretty massive. It's got a 10-speaker Bang & Olsen system. And it's got seven driving modes, which we haven't really ex- experimented with yet. Well, I did because I accidentally did it. The, I did it earlier when I was I was coming out of somewhere and I think I pushed the side button on the gear stick and it went into, I think it was one or two, but it sounded really revvy. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, what have I done? I've like messed the car up or something, but I'm just in normal drive at the moment. Yeah, there's one of them called Bajor mode. And I think that is for off-road. If you go into that, it opens up the exhaust and releases a blunt V6 roar with the twin exhaust pipes. The engine responses are sharpened and the steering is tightened. So that may be the mode that you went into. And everybody just looks at you like you're a maniac. (laughs) Which you are. Uh, The steering wheel has got some shortcut buttons, which are quite handy. And it's heated. What? Yeah, heated steering wheel. What do you think of the seats? I mean, they look really sporty, really lovely bucket seats. And the heated seat is actually really good. Too good, actually. What do you mean too good? It's a bit burny on your old bum. (laughs) The seats were apparently inspired by an F-22 Raptor fighter jet. Oh, wow. Okay. But they feel comfy. They're nice. Nicely moulded. We're driving in a bright orange one, and then there's lots of orange highlighting within the cabin area here. It's a nice orange. I like it. We did see a blue one, but I definitely prefer the orange colour. This is in a 3-litre, which absolutely burns through petrol. Now, apparently, there's meant to be a 2-litre coming out early next year. Let's hope so. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're like, you know, doing a lot of motorway driving, it's going to be really, really good. But you don't really need a three litre for sort of chugging about London, really, do you? The main element for me would be that it's not actually classed as a commercial vehicle because... Because it's more pleasure than work. Well, I don't know who would buy it if it's not a commercial vehicle, but um, it hasn't got enough payload. So you couldn't get the VAT back on this if you bought it because it's not got enough payload. Um, because I was looking at buying things for my DJing and carrying all my equipment. And as much as I was excited by this, I couldn't actually use it as a commercial vehicle. Oh, shame. 
pickups are meant to be really bumpy. How are you finding this? It's not that bad, actually. Yeah, they redesigned this whole thing and they completely rebuilt it for the Raptor. And it's got Fox 2.5-inch live valve shock absorbers. You can't really feel the, um, the road humps, bumps, which are everywhere in London. Now, the other thing that would put me off this, it, it is expensive. I mean, this particular one we're driving is, including VAT, £63,500. Wow, that is expensive, isn't it? Um, you have to pay, that includes the 720 quid to have it in this code orange colour and a few other extras as well, which include the plastic cab rollover bar oh, wow. um, and the cover, which is quite good because that, you just press a button and the cover goes back and forwards on the pickup oh, yes, bit at the back. Oh, that's handy, that's very handy. Now, you can probably change this in the settings, but at the moment, the self-locking thing is doing my head in. Oh my God, so I opened it in the hallway and by the time I got to the car, it closed. Yeah, and I was loading up some of my DJ equipment. I'd put in a speaker, go back in the, ne the next speaker with my hands full, and the car would be locked. Yeah, you know what else I don't like about it, whilst talking about things we don't like, is the, the gear stick, the park is at the top. So normally you have reverse at the top and you have drive at the bottom, so you can't just whack it into reverse. I keep whacking it into park. Reverse yeah, is the next one down. Yeah, I've had that where I've had to do a quick three-point turn. But there's nothing quick about it when you're fiddling around trying to find yeah, reverse. There's quite a lot of buttons on there as well. It, it's quite, yeah. Obviously, you get used to a lot of that, but I do prefer having uh, an easy-to-find reverse. And one of the greatest things as well is the reverse camera, which has got the 360-degree camera. Now, if anybody follows us on Instagram, you'll see that we have to get out in and out of our drive past a massive tree, and it's really tight. But what it does, it can show you um, the 360-degree view of it, so you can see all around the van. It's also useful for parking as well, so you can see if you're in the white lines, because it's so big, you can't see the, the lines. No, it's quite long, isn't it? It's quite long. Yeah, you get that um, aerial view, don't you? So bird's-eye view, so you can see the car in the space so you can see the, the lines at the front and the back. The first time I saw one of them, I thought, this is impossible. How is it doing it? No, I know, but it is actually really handy. And I like to use that function as well when you come up to like a yellow box. You know, the yellow boxes when you're driving, you can sort of nudge up quite close to the yellow box without actually getting into it. Oh, they love a yellow box ticket in London. Get yes. your front wheel on the yellow box, that's it. You're going to yeah. find... I like the all-terrain tyres, not that we ever go off-road, but I just love the look of them. They look so chunky, don't they? Well, I have. I've gone off-road a few times, only up curbs and stuff like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it generally, it's quite smooth and it does help. <laughs> it's obviously got Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. We had a couple of issues with the Android Auto, whereby... We've wanted to play music and have the maps on, and it's got a bit confused. Also, the map on the Android Auto is quite small. And whereas our phone has got it in portrait, on the screen here, it's put the map in landscape. So the other information about how many minutes you've got and extra details that Google Maps like to put on there are blocking some of the view. Yeah. So I find it... I think it's something you'll get used to, though. I think it's just because it's different. Well, I wasn't getting used to it when I drove back from nothing but thieves. I couldn't see where I was going. I know, but we've just been at a gig and, you know. Trying to say it's me. And yeah, probably. Thanks. <laughs> and I, when I was driving, I felt like the screen needed to be tilted to me just a little bit more. I just feel like I was looking away from the road and it's quite a long way to look down. I think you're just a bad driver. Thanks. <laughs> 
Ah, now, how do you find it pulling away at a junction? Can you pull away quicker than other cars? I do feel like there's a slight delay on the pulling away. And the other thing is, is the brake and the collision assistant assistance. Yes. I think once you're braking, it takes quite a while for it to kick in. And then it's, the car starts screaming at you, saying collision and, you know, flashing red and this, that and the other, which is very, very dramatic when it's just like a little car that's just, you know, tried to cut you up. And it sensed it on the outside. There is a slight delay when you want to accelerate. It's almost like it's trying to work its way through all its millions of different gears, I think. Once you do get moving, apparently it goes from standstill to 62 miles an hour in 7.9 seconds. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll have to test that later. And top speed is 111. I know. <laughs> um, I think that's when I curbed it earlier. <laughs> For me, I like the way that it looks and feels to drive. And if you don't need it to be a commercial vehicle, then get one of these. It's great fun. But Maybe you could just say buy it for your wife. Say, well, it's not a commercial vehicle, and then just use it for yourself. Buying it for your wife. I think that's what Leona's trying to do. Oh, I've sussed you out. What did your friend Edgemel say about it? She said, she said it's the most ugliest thing she's ever seen. If she saw that, she'd expect a big, hairy man to jump out of it. And not a little <laughs> tiny woman like myself. I don't think it's ugly at all. I think it's actually a really good-looking vehicle. Yes, I, I actually think it's a good-looking vehicle. It's a bit a bit look-at-me type of vehicle, isn't it, though? Yeah. It's a bit of a show-off type vehicle. I don't think you'd be buying this wanting to be subtle. That's so true, that's so true. Okay, thank you, Sasha. You're welcome. So that was the Ford Ranger Rapture in orange, pictures on the Rock and Road Pod socials. Now, in the summer, I had a chat with Brian May about the origins of heavy metal for my documentary, which is out now called Made of Metal. You will find that on your podcast app or the Absolute Radio app. But we ended up going off on one about guitar techniques. I wasn't able to use this part in the documentary, or maybe just a tiny clip, but certainly not our whole conversation. Now, if you like guitars or music in any way, hopefully you'll find this interesting. And it starts with me asking him about the origins of heavy metal. I think it begins with my dear friend Tony Iommi. That's the view I have. He, to me, is the father of heavy metal. Uh, and of course, his last day at work, I'm sure you all know this story, he cut off his fingers by getting getting them in the wrong place in that machine. What a tragedy at the time. Incredible that he overcame it by putting these tips on his fingers. And, and I mean, some say that those tips actually added to that kind of heavier sound because it kind of distorted it a bit. You'd have to ask Tony about that. I don't know. <laughs> I actually think it's all in his fingers. I think it's it's in the way he cups them around the the neck the, the feel that is there um I've, i i have found that every guitarist has their own signature which they stamp on a guitar no matter what that guitar is i'll never forget playing with hank marvin do you go back to hank marvin mm -hmm. my yeah. dad was um really into that kind of music so he's influenced me yeah, because I grew up with that, and I never understood where that incredible sound came from. It's unique, Hank's sound. And there came the point where I was playing with him in the studio, and we swapped guitars, and I thought, oh, my God, what's he going to sound like playing my guitar? Is he obviously going to sound like me? No, he sounds like Hank Marvin. Exactly. It's all in the fingers. It's just in the way he... I've often wondered that, because I don't... say, so for example, Slash, 
it's got a unique sound. You've got a unique sound. But how is that created? How do you get your unique sound? I think it's a combination, but an awful lot of it is in the fingers and in the what, just the speed and the, the pressure and size of your fingers, or yeah, there's a lot of variables. Uh, what, the way you string it, you know, what gauge of strings you use is part of it. What shape the fingerboard is, how you how your fingers uh, actually make contact with the strings, whether you fret close behind the the fret or in the middle how much vibrato you have, how much the way you bend strings, because the guitar, the, you know, the rock guitar is so different from a Spanish guitar, this business of bending strings to to bring the note into a completely different pitch. You know, but that's all the left hand. The other hand, th there's a million ways you can hit the string. It's so different. You know, you can hit it with a pick, you can hit it with a hard pick, soft pick, you can use upstrokes or downstrokes, you can be you can be damping the string at the same time, which is something I do instinctively. You can be using your fingers. And again, the fingers can act in all different ways. You can be hitting the string like upwards or downwards. A lot of the time I try to lift the string. So you get a particular sound when the string just snaps back onto the, the fingerboard. Or you can do it very gently. So you just release the string without actually hitting it. And you get this very kind of mellow, pure sound. So there's so many variables. And you're not thinking, guitarists don't think about that when they're playing. They just let it come from inside them. So you've got all that emotional contact through your body, through your fingers, through the strings, through the wire, through the amp, through the air. It's a whole chain of events. And it's always different, I think. Now you've explained it, it makes perfect sense to me. And I can see why everyone's unique. I mean, I'm not a guitar player, so I didn't realize all of that. So many variables. Definitely a lot of variables, yeah. And if you feel angry or you feel joy or you feel any kind of emotion, it communicates itself unconsciously, I think. Once you've been playing for a while, you don't have to think, oh, I'm going to hit this really hard to make it sound angry. You just feel it. It just comes out of your body. And I think that's a big part of what makes the style of a guitar player. It's a very expressive instrument. It must be the same to an extent with a violinist, I would think, although I haven't had experience of that. But it's much more expressive than a piano ever could be because there are less variables in the piano. You can only, I mean, that you can hit it hard or soft, but that's about it really for, for a piano key, I would say. Of course, there's, I mean, people put emotion into piano playing, of course they do. But the guitar has this unique way of kind of channeling your, your inner feelings because it's so, um, so fluid. Because of this string bending business, above, above anything else. To get that heavy sound, what do you do to make a guitar sound heavy? Well, well, one of the things one of the things you can do is turn it up a long way, so it distorts the amp. So you get from a clean sound, which Dwayne Eddy used to have, Hank Marvin used to have. It, it gets more throaty, it gets more burned, and that already makes it sound heavy. Um, then there's various things you can do. One of the things that most heavy metal guitarists do, I would say, and I do, all of us in rock do, is work with fifths. You work with the tonic note, the root note of the chord, and the fifth above. And you need two fingers for that because there's two notes, right? <laughs> and the fifth has a way of getting rid of all the clutter. Instead of playing a full chord with the thirds and whatever in it, you're playing just the fifths and all the harmonics, if, if it's tuned right, all the harmonics combine in exactly the right way to make it very fat, very gluey sound. And you can move that fifth all around. So you can find any chord you like by moving the, the fifths up and down. 
So all those Black Sabbath riffs, that's what you'll hear Tony Iama doing. They're all fifths. And um, strangely enough, Richie Blackmore on the whole didn't do that, I think. And um, what he did was use fourths, which is almost the same thing. You're getting almost the same harmonics, but instead of hitting a fifth above, you're hitting a fourth below. It's actually the same note, an octave apart. So you get the same effect. It's very fat effect. So smoke on the water, he's using fourths, I think. (laughs) I mean, I've never talked to him about it, but that's the way it sounds and looks to me. The first one you mentioned, the fifths, is it these fingers? Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm thinking, hang on, is that not the rock sign? (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Do you think that's where it came from? It could be. I thought it was devil horns. I thought it was supposed to be horns and devil, but... (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> You're right, though. This is generally the way people play fists. You can do it with those fingers. You can do it with those fingers also, because your third finger is generally more controllable than your little finger. Don't ask me why that is, but a lot of a lot of guitar players, especially rock guitar players, don't use this pinky at all. They don't use this finger. Everything's really? done. And if you go back to Django Reinhardt, he used these two fingers. Because these these ones were chopped off. Wow, that, that's another thing. That's another whole thing. I think yeah, it should be guitar. Have you ever taught guitar? No, not really. It would be fun, wouldn't it? Maybe yeah, I mean, you, you've certainly got me intrigued. <laughs> you got me intrigued. <laughs> Isn't he just so lovely and kind? I love the way he chats. I could just talk to him for hours. I actually find it quite relaxing. I've got another section to play you with Brian May in a future episode about his guitar influences and what guitarists made him the guitarist he is today. That's Brian May on the Rock and Road Pod. Now, let's catch up on the motorcycle world. The MCN Minute on the Rock and Road Podcast. Please welcome Emma Franklin, Deputy Editor of MCN Motorcycle News, the weekly paper, and online, of course. Hello, Emma. Hi, Leona. How are you doing? Yes, good, thanks. How are you? I'm really well, really well. I've had a really good summer of riding, so, yeah, super happy. Oh, that's good. Not quite so nice now, is it? No, no, it's quite (laughs) slimy and cold, but we've got the show around the corner, so that sort of, like, gives you a nice winter warmer, doesn't it, really? Yes, tell us about Motorcycle Live. Oh, well, yeah, that's getting that's kicking off this week. Um, there is absolutely tons of stuff to see this year because we've had like quite a big year for brand new bikes. I don't know if it's something to do with the pandemic. Uh, you know, things have caught up with uh, the development of bikes and stuff because like last year and the year before, they had a few supply chain issues. And But whatever the reason is, the manufacturers have just gone crazy and we've got tons and tons of new metal to see. So that's sort of like the big draw for everyone this year, I think new bikes what are the highlights so it's sort of gone a little bit sports bike crazy again which is good for me because i like sports bikes so we've got a uh, an updated honda fireblade so um it looks very similar but it's got um bigger wings bigger uh, revised aero and it's had engine revisions uh, as well so it sort of makes the same power and torque as before but i think they've um they've done significant work to the uh, the engine itself to sort of make it have more and that's going to suit uh, their race teams a lot better as well. And it's just a gorgeous bike. Um, absolutely, absolutely stunning, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. And we've also got from them, we've got uh, the return of the CBR 600. So that's like the 600 version of the Fireblade, if you will. Um, and that's also got the uh, the must-have uh, aerodynamic wings on it as well. So, um, yes, yeah, sports bikes. And then for yeah. your adventure lovers... We've got the all-important, you know, the global bestseller um, R2000 
1300 GS as um, as broken cover this year. So, yeah, that's had, had an engine um, capacity increase and it's had a completely new frame and it's sort of a, a sportier GS than previously. So it's quite mm-hmm. a, uh, a revised, a big update for them. Um, so, yeah, they're sort of your stars of the show, really. But there is absolutely tons and tons that are just scratching the surface, really. Yes. It is, I love Motorcycle Live. You say it's a nice thing to look forward to in the winter, isn't it? Yeah, really is, really is. And aside from all like the bikes you can see, there's all the interactive features that so you've got like kids can have a go on an offset or a little um, electric um, motocross bike. And then you've got our, the MCA sort of um, tri ride. So anyone age 14 or over can go and um, have a go on a bike for the first time. And that's it's really important, isn't it, for getting the next generation of motorcyclists into the fold? Yes. Yeah. What else is going on? Oh, just just so much, so much going on. I mean, in the paper this week, we've had our first ride of the Royal Enfield Himalayan 450. So luckily, uh, my colleague, Michael Guy, went over to the actual Himalayas to go and ride it. Wow. Um, so he had a, we had a whale of a time over there, as you can imagine. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's quite, a, it's, it's, it's Royal Enfield's... Um, it's quite a modern bike for Royal Enfield because it's uh, water-cooled for the first time, so that's quite a big step for them. And, yeah, so we've had our uh, exclusive first ride of that, and you'll also be able to see that at the show as well. So Brilliant. Yeah, really good. In this week's paper, we uh, revealed exclusively Langan, Langan Motorcycles' second bike. So um, for people who don't know, Langan Motorcycles is the UK's um, newest manufacturer and they're quite small volume. So they make um, very, very limited runs of quite sort of special, special bikes. And they were famous for their two-stroke, which came out about three years ago, which was yeah. a, a 250cc two-stroke. And it was absolutely beautiful, little cafe racer. So this is their uh, difficult second album. They're describing it has but um yeah it, it's it's beautiful it's called the light speed and it's uh it's the other end of the spectrum it's four stroke for a start and it's a huge sort of um 1190cc uh, v-twin which comes from buell and it's it's sort of it's, it's beautiful it's got a one-to-one power to weight ratio so it weighs about 185 kilograms and makes 185 brake horsepower as well so it's um it's quite the thing and you'll be able to see that at the show as well so that's well worth a look definitely so cool and also in the paper as well yeah that's in our that's one of our cover stories this week so yeah Mm. read all about it okay well lovely to catch up with you again emma and um have a wonderful time at motorcycle live oh will do thank you the mcn minute on the rock and road podcast well that is almost it from the podcast this week Quick review of Nothing But Thieves, who I saw live a week ago at Wembley Arena. I thought they were fantastic live. Great front man, or front nan, as he calls himself, because he kept stopping to have a drink of tea. He said he drinks a lot of tea, and he should be known as a front nan. In fact, he was wearing a beautiful blouse, a backless blouse with netted arms. He he looked fantastic in it. He's really in touch with his feminine side, and he's got an incredible falsetto voice. But lots and lots of screaming, adoring fans for Connor, who is a fantastic fantastic vocalist. Now I'm going to be going to see Elf the Musical next week. I'll let you know what that is like. I'll also be starting to DJ as the festive season begins. Got lots of gigs lined up and you can see what I'm up to on my socials. Also next week on my evening show on Absolute Classic Rock, my featured artists are T-Rex, formerly known as Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm going to be playing songs from both of those eras of T-Rex next week. Hope you have a wonderful time till the next episode. Please do look at all the pictures that go with this 
episode on the Rock and Road Pod socials. And thank you for listening. Thank you.